Hi, I'm Michelle Brooks. Welcome to Endo Matters. This is a podcast that helps women with endometriosis get in control of their condition, no longer letting it control them. I'll be asking you, the listener, what help you would like and giving you tips on how you can live a better life with endo. After all, endo does matter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this month's episode of Endo Matters. This week, um, you're going to listen to me a lot because I've had some questions from you, the listeners, and um, I'd like to be the one that comes on here and answers those questions for you personally. So one of the questions I was asked this week was, what foods should you eat as you're getting older to prepare for menopause? Now, this is not an an this is not a question that can be answered very quickly or with just one word answer. It's not very simple. Of course, every woman is different and every woman needs to be treated differently with regards to what she's eating and what she's doing. But what I can say is that if you're in your 30s, 40s or nearing 50s, then you need to be putting things in place for yourself to help you get through the menopause a little bit easier. I'm not going to guarantee that that's going to happen, but there are things you can put in place to help you along the way. And if you go back to my episode two, where I talk about um, the three tiers, about um, exercise, nutrition and stress management, those three tiers also come into effect when we're talking about menopause. And I know this question is about what you can eat, but there are other elements that you have to consider as well when you're getting towards that menopause age. And as I say, from 30 onwards, I would start to prepare yourself to get in the hormones in the best kind of health possible. And how do you do that? That's, again, a very multifaceted answer. And I'm going to try and not go on too long because this could be a whole podcast in itself. But um, so I'd start with the nutrition for a start. When you are getting towards the menopause, um, obviously, women start to experience things like hot flushes. And what I will say with hot flushes is if you are having a lot of alcohol, if you're drinking a lot of coffee, eating a lot of spicy foods, fatty foods, then that's not going to help with this problem. So what I'd try and do is keep spicy food to a minimum. Start to reduce alcohol. And if you can, cut out caffeine and try and look for clean, lean meats and taking out any kind of trans fats from your diet. The more cleaner you can eat, the better. In in general, I mean, you know, you've listened to other episodes of my podcast that we can't be 24-7 completely on it. But if as a consistent thing, we are eating five or six days of clean eating, which means like good um, lean meats, um, grains, vegetables, fresh organic food, then that is going to set us in better stead for helping with the menopause and health in general. So yeah, a good diet high in fruit, veg, whole grains, high quality proteins and dairy is something that you should be looking at. Another thing that um, is quite interesting to look at when you're thinking about menopause is something called phytoestrogens healthy fats like omega-3s, um, obviously a lot of good healthy um, fish containing omega-3, so good fatty fish is really great. But go back to phytoestrogens, um, these are found in things like soybean, um, can never say the word, I think they're edamame beans, don't quote me on that, something like that, the beans anyway, the green ones. 
um, flaxseed and sesame seed. Now, this gets a little bit confusing when you talk to women with endometriosis, because when you have endometriosis, you are estrogen dominant and you're going to try and avoid these kind of foods because they will um, add more estrogen to the body. Now, when you get into the menopause age, your estrogen starts to drop. So women are encouraged to add in phytoestrogens. And I don't know enough about this yet. Um, it's the next stage of my research at the moment. But as women with endometriosis get to menopause age, will symptoms get better because the estrogen is dropping? Perhaps, you know, that could be the thing. But as again, I've spoke about this in previous episodes that um, endometriosis attaches to different organs. So it just depends on where the, the endometriosis is attached to and how much damage it's already done to that organ, whether if the estrogen drops, it will make a hell of a lot of difference to your symptoms. I would hope so. Um, that's what I can say. I would hope that when estrogen drops, that you will um, get more you know, relief and less pain. But again, it's not in every case, in every woman's case, it's going to be different. But what my kind of worry is that women that are encouraged to eat these phytoestrogens in general, so a general woman going through menopause is encouraged to eat phytoestrogens to up the estrogen levels um, naturally. You know, a lot of women choose the HRT route, which again is your choice and fine. But if you're wanting to do this naturally by adding in phytoestrogens, then you're going to you know, increase this estrogen naturally and help keep you on a more even keel as you're going through the menopause. But um, when you've got endometriosis, should you be adding these phytoestrogens in and will that then start to um, heighten the, the symptoms? And I would guess yes. So be very careful around that and just play about with getting the levels right is what I'll kind of say to you. And um, yeah, just just looking at the food and finding out where the areas are that you maybe need to look at. With endometriosis, generally what happens when you're going on HRT is that they will um, give you a constant um, progesterone. Women generally, when they're going on HRT, will have some estrogen and then at certain times of the month, progesterone. But when you have endometriosis, they generally will give you a constant progesterone. And this, again, is to balance out this estrogen dominance. So, again, I would probably be very careful with the phytoestrogens that you're looking at. Um, raising calcium is really great as well when you're going through menopause or coming up to menopause, perimenopausal time, because, again, estrogen will lower your calcium in the bones. And this is where women can get um, risk of osteoporosis. I know that I've had to be very careful with calcium because I don't have dairy. And a lot of women with endometriosis too have dairy intolerance. So what I encourage women with endometriosis who can't have dairy to do is adding lots of greens. So you're getting the calcium from the green, green leafy veg. Um, and again, you know, a lot of women with um, hormone problems that have gone through life might have had periods of time in the life where they've had no periods, which has happened to me too from various, um, various things is that there's been like two or three years, probably twice in my life, where I've not had a period. And um, it, it really is a worry that it will reduce these calcium levels and then in turn be able to uh, um, cause osteoporosis. So I would encourage anybody with um, definitely endometriosis to really look at up in greens if you've got dairy intolerance. 
but also up in vitamin D because that also helps with the bones. So any woman in general, I would say up in calcium, if you're not dairy intolerant, getting enough um, good organic dairy in there. If you are dairy intolerant, up in those greens and getting enough green leafy veg in. So what else, what else? Um, so yeah, really look at those saturated fats, not having too many fatty meats, really looking at like not cooking in things like butter, lard. I know not many people do cooking lard. That was my kind of nan's generation of doing that. But if you do still have like that odd um, chippy with like loads of cooked in lard, I know they do that in Yorkshire still, um, just be really mindful of that because it's not really great for uh, cholesterol and it's not great for women in, in menopause either. Obviously, things like refined sugars are not great, cause inflammation cured meats, um, processed food. Um, I think processed food should be banned. You know, if you've got to ping it or it's got a sell-by date of about four months, then really, should we really be eating it? And especially when we're going through like hormonal imbalances, we want to keep inflammation to an absolute minimum. So um, yeah, have a look at those things and try and reduce them. Reduce calories. Calories. As we're getting older, uh, we don't need as, uh, well, again, this is a generalization. As we're getting older, we don't need as many calories because generally we're slowing down in life. But again, if you're a woman that's still, you know, going out and doing a marathon or, you know, training hard, then obviously you'll need the calories to sustain that exercise. But in general, as women, we will start to slow down. But again, that takes me to the exercise part of this. You should match your exercise to how you're feeling as we are getting towards the menopause. We are getting like a, a reduction in energy because of these estrogen dropping the hormones and everything else that's going on in life. You know, do the exercise that suits you at that time. Everybody thinks that you should be still pumping out in the gym, getting in as much you know exercise as possible to you know keep your weight at bay, which is not you know untrue. But what? really you should be doing to monopolize on this drop in estrogen is to really look after your body and do the exercise that fits you you know I've seen women that have been like proper gym bunnies all their life turn to things like yoga or pilates in the later years because the body generally will need to do something a little bit slower and there's no, nothing wrong in that and it's not meaning to say you're going to hold loads of weight by changing the exercise you do just listen to the body and know what it needs Again, um, in menopause, there's still cycles. So even though you don't have a bleed, the body still is a cyclical thing. So listen to your mood and your energy. And the same way as what I will tell women to do with their um, cycle, use the energies wisely. So when you're having a dip in your energy, do those more gentle exercises. I've just started to do Qigong, which is um, a real, like really slow, it's like um, derivative of Tai Chi. And it's a real lovely fluid movement. And that when I'm like feeling like a hormone flare up will like really calm things down. So just choose these lovely things that are available to us and use that at the time of, of, of you know, the, the mood time, the energy time where this energy is going to suit you best. And then if you have a day where you're feeling like you can conquer the world, go out and lift some weights or do a run or whatever it is that you love. But don't keep pushing the body because when you push the body and the hormones are out of balance, then you're going to do more damage. You're going to add more inflammation and more layers on top of what's already going on. And then obviously, the last thing that I always talk about is stress. So again, 
similar to what happened with endometriosis and cortisol when estrogen levels are dropping and cortisol comes into play then you get this like really like imbalance again and it can send us like completely loopy and these women like that come and work with me talk about like I feel like I'm going crazy da 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 and it can be because you're fighting like the too much stress in your life is causing you to like the hormones to fight against each other cortisol is a hormone so if you've got too much cortisol running through the body then of course it's going to cause problems so what i would say is now again in your 30s in your 40s deal with stress accordingly we all have stress in life nobody i speak to nobody i think on the planet has no stress whatsoever but it's how you deal with it is the important thing. And certainly when you're coming up to perimenopause or going through menopause, it is really important to get it at a level where it's very, very, you know, got a very calm and influence in your life. Find out what it is that you love to do to calm yourself down and relax and do it really consistently. You know, I use a lot of meditation. I have regular massage. I have regular reflexology. A lot of things that are very calming on the body and calming on the mind. Yoga, really great for the mind. Choose what it is that you love to do and just do it because that is going to be your saving grace through menopause, through perimenopause, and obviously through anything hormonal that's hitting the body. So that's a very long answer to a very short question. And I hope that um, the lady that um, posed this question, I hope I answered that clearly for you. So second question is today, is there anything I can do to get a deeper sleep? Just like the question I've just answered, this is not a short answer. You know, I could just say like, yeah, knock yourself on the head and fall asleep and that'd be great. But, you know, that's that's not going to happen. We need something concrete that's going to help us to get this really quality sleep. And again, you know, it's going back to these three areas again, nutrition, exercise and stress management all come into play when we're talking about sleep. But also the environment that we have is your bedroom set up as a place that's going to relax you and make you go to sleep? Um, it probably is part of my OCD that I can't go to sleep if I've got mess in the room. So I need the room to be tidy for me to be able to sleep because I think a cluttered room makes me have a cluttered mind. So that for me really helps. Temperature is another really thick, you know, another thing to look at when we're, we're thinking about sleep. If it's too hot in your room, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to wake up because you're too hot. So your room temperature needs to be that it's kind of chilly when you walk in the room. And then when you get under the covers, it's nice and cosy. So I know that in the UK, we, like luckily, for some miraculous reason, have been having some really high temperatures, um, which has not been great for us because none of us have been sleeping because we're not used to it. So if you can sleep with a fan on, and again, menopausal women, you maybe have to do this anyway. Sleep with that fan on if you can um, put up with the noise, because again, that'll cool the body down and get you to sleep a little bit easier than if it's too hot. Um, switch off every device that you have. Um, don't be going to bed with your laptop. Don't be going to bed playing on your phone, looking through social media. Switch it off. Have a time of night where you think, right, it's over. Everything technological is switched off and you put it to sleep because if you're constantly looking at things that are flashing up on your phone, you're stimulating your mind and it's going to cause you a disrupted sleep. Also, um, 
something like I've never done this, so, but I've read that even the smallest light in your room, so even like if you have your television, if you've got a television in your room, if you put it on standby and it's got a red dot on it, then that too can interrupt your sleep. So switch it completely off. If your room's too light, get some blackout blinds, make sure it's nice and dark. Again, this can all help with getting a better night's sleep. But if you are going to bed and you've still got a lot of stresses on your mind, if you've got a lot of things going on in your mind, then brain dump it. That's what um, a really great technique that I've learned. So brain dump it, either speak into your phone and have an audio or write it down if you're that kind of person, type it into your notes on your phone, do what it is before you switch your phone off, obviously, and uh, make sure that it's completely out of your mind before you try and go to sleep, because if not, you'll, you'll lie awake all night and just think about it. Even if like you've woken up at three in the morning and your mind's starting to whir again, get up, write it down and go back to bed because chances are if you brain dumped it, then you're going to get back to sleep again. Um, nutrition wise. So again, it's having a clean diet that's going to help with this. So all the things I've spoken about before, lean meat, good grains, good veg, fruit, having a really good clean diet is going to help with better sleep. If you're like somebody that's like having junk food three or four times a week, if you're, you know, gorging on sugar, um, it's never going to help you sleep, nor is caffeine. You know, um, if you do have coffee, tea, make sure you've stopped drinking that up after, um, before four o'clock. After four o'clock, they say that it's still in the system for when you're trying to go to sleep. So four o'clock should be the cutoff point for caffeine. I think personally, if you have if you're having sleep trouble, then I'd try and wean yourself off of anything caffeine based. Because again, if you are someone who's a disrupted sleeper anyway, then caffeine's never going to help it. Alcohol never going to help sleep. You, you think it does? A lot of people say to me, "Oh well, I have a couple of glasses. Why? Because it helps me sleep." It's never going to be a good sleep. It's never going to be quality sleep when you've got alcohol in the system. It just doesn't work like that. So if you can have like time off of alcohol, if again, you are suffering from disrupted sleep, I would recommend having a bit of time off alcohol because, you know, it might be that you have a couple of nights where it's like pretty bad, but once that alcohol's out of the system, then it will um, aid a better sleep with, with not having it there. Another really good thing I have found for um, nutritionally for um, sleep is magnesium now magnesium um, should be taken in the form of magnesium glycinate it's an um, essential amino acid and it has um, a really important neurotransmitter which helps the function of the brain um, so this in turn can help a really good quality of sleep it should be taken about an hour before bed to give you the better um, chance of that quality sleep Again, the test you can have to see if you're lacking in magnesium, but it's never going to cause you any kind of disruption to anything else. So if you want to start looking at a supplement, then magnesium supplement can be a really good aid. But if you're not into supplements, not everybody is, find and eat foods that are really high in magnesium, such as spinach, almonds, cashews, pumpkin seeds, peanuts, all of these things can really um, help in increasing magnesium into the bloodstream and then of course like exercise if we go back to these like three tiers that I always bang on about exercise again you know can be really good if done consistently in helping us sleep better but again for people um, with disrupted sleep I would say don't exercise too late in the day 
And I know this can be really hard with family commitments and stuff. There might be only in the evening that you can do exercise. But I would say if you are suffering from poor sleep, then try your best to get that exercise in probably in the morning because evening time, again, it can be stimulating the body, stimulating the brain. And then by the time that you're trying to unwind to go to bed, then the adrenaline can still be running through the body. And again, you're not going to get a good night's sleep if this adrenaline is still kicking in. And then stress management. So again, like everything else I talk about, stress is the biggest thing that's going to disrupt your sleep. If you are stressed out, then you're never going to sleep well. So again, brain dumping everything is a great one, but also trying things that will help you with that sleep. I love a meditation. Um, it's not for everybody, but um, there are things like these apps now that can tell you bedtime stories. And it sounds like really weird as an adult listening to a bedtime story. But sometimes just that, like focusing on a voice rather than focusing on noises in your room, the thoughts that are going around in your head, just having that other focus to look at, or well, to think about while you're nodding off can often help that um, that sleep to come. So I hope again that answered the question. It's a very long answer to a short question again, but I think that sleep is such a important thing and it for our health in general, not just for like, as I say, women with endometriosis or women in general, anybody um, for a healthy lifestyle needs good quality sleep. And I'd say minimum of seven hours a night is, is what's going to help you to function correctly. So, yeah, um, just think about that. If you're not getting that good seven hours sleep, then um, try and look at some of the things I've talked about and see if you can implement them into your life. So the next question um, is how to deal with irregular periods mentally. And this came actually from one of my clients who've been suffering from this. Um, and she's probably menopausal age. And she's always had a regular period all her life. And now that things are becoming a little bit irregular, and obviously we've been working together to get like this whole system of working in sync with the cycle and she got it to a T and now things are becoming a little bit more irregular. It's becoming a bit of a problem mentally for her. So I completely know where she's coming from with this question. So with a regular period, where I would start is talk to healthcare professional about why they are not regular. Now, there can be a lot of reasons. If you're coming up to menopause, then that could be the reason. It's just that time of life where things are starting to change a little bit. Or, you know, it could be stress. It could be nutrition or your weight. And it could be lack of exercise. So again, we go back to the three tiers every single time, but this is what you should be looking at. But definitely, definitely talk to a doctor if your periods are um, suddenly becoming irregular or you're worried about it. Periods are really um, a good thing. And when I talk to women with endometriosis, they always like come back and like, well, we'd have a better life without them. And I completely relate to that. Yeah, life would be a lot easier without having them. But as a woman, we need this cycle to be healthy. So if you are having a regular cycle, then that means that everything's working as it should. Your hormones are working, ne not necessarily always as they should, but it means that things are going on in your body that is natural. And obviously, as women, we are made to, never said this word correctly either, procreate. That's the one. I got it right. Procreate. We are made to procreate. 
And if we are having a regular cycle, then that means that the body, in theory, should be healthy enough to do that. And that's a wonderful thing. So if when our periods stop, there's an issue, there's a problem somewhere along the line that's stopping us having this bleed every month. So again, um, we can like look to our nutrition, getting that working correctly for us. And I've spoken about this a lot. I'm not going to go into every single detail today and look back over previous episodes if you want to know more about that. But nutrition, again, plays a massive part in our um, cycle regulation. So again, eating enough of the good stuff, lean meats, veg, fruit, and getting the right amount of greens and all the rest of it, calcium, that kind of stuff. Exercise-wise, um, oh, and before I move on, um, weight-wise, women who are too underweight can also have problems with periods lacking. So again, it can be really hard for a woman to have to put on some weight because psychologically that can be a major, major thing. And from someone who has suffered with anorexia, I know exactly what this feels like. But it is an indication um, when you are underweight and your periods stop that this problem's going on. So it needs to be at a healthy weight. I was always told by my doctor for my height, and again, again, this is to every individual, that, you know, a weight for my height, if I went below eight stone, then I would be classed as underweight and then my periods stopped. So I always knew that when my periods were stopping again, that I'd gone too far. And again, as somebody with an eating disorder beforehand, this can be really mind messing and nearly swore then um but it's um it, it's something that needs to be addressed so if you or somebody you know daughter i've had people come in to me and talk about this about their daughters and it is an issue and i'm not the professional to help with this i had professional help myself to deal with this so i would again look to professional help to deal with this issue but getting back to kind of the period side of it exercise also plays a big part in this and you can be over exercising and again when periods stop you need to be looking at your training program and seeing whether you're doing too much because women these days they are go-getters the jet setters and they think that the exercise should reflect that as well that if they're pushing it hard then they're succeeding not always the case and especially if your periods have stopped then I would say that you're not on the right program for you and you need to tweak it and that generally will be for me when I look at this for women, generally that they're doing too much. They're doing seven days exercise. You don't need to be doing exercise seven days a week. You need rest days. Rest days are as important as the actual work days. So take a bit of time off. Use, um, again, if your periods have stopped, try looking at some more gentle things to balance out. Don't stop all you're doing. You know, training programs are there for a reason, but just make it a little bit more balanced. Have days off where you do stretching or yoga or, you know, just add something in a little bit gentle to counteract all of the heavy stuff that you might be doing. And that, again, may help these periods to come back. And again, we go back to the good old chestnut of stress. Stress is something that impacts every single part of our life. And if, again, you know, you've looked at all the other areas and nothing's bringing the periods back, then your stress levels could be where it's at look at why you're stressed what you can do to change and why you're stressed and have techniques to deal with when you're stressed but like going back to the question really in hand I've given you like um, things that you can do to get your periods more regularly but how can you deal 
it with it when it's not coming and you're dealing with this kind of in a mental way. <clears throat> so it's really easy to say this, but try not to kind of dwell on it. If it's because you're in perimenopausal time, then that's the reason why and your body's preparing itself to stop these periods. So you stressing about it is going to add another layer and going to make the period be an even longer cycle. And what I would say is, um, you know, we are conditioned to look at our period as a 28-day cycle. Not every woman has a period at a 28-day cycle. Some women are shorter, some are longer. And especially when we get to perimenopausal age, perimenopausal is going to be that word like endometriosis that I have struggled saying as well. It's like perimenopause, you've got to break it down in syllables. Um, so when you get to this point in life, then start looking at three months. So take an average over three months. It might not be 28 days anymore. It might be that your average is 35 days, 40 days. And start working again the way that I teach to work around the cycle with your eating patterns, with your exercise, and with obviously this stress management. Start working at a 40 day cycle instead of a 28 day cycle. The whole process just lengthens a little bit, but we can still work with it. It still works in the same principle, but just over a longer period of time. So if you reside yourself to that fact that you're not sat waiting for your period to happen after 28 days, that it could be like 35 to 40 days but you've also still done the prep work in, in between, then mentally you're going to deal with it a lot better than sat there worrying about it. So I know it's easier to say, don't sit and worry about it, but the more you worry about it, the extra layer is going to add on to it. So yeah, just look at that cycle and, and take an average over three months rather than taking it month by month is what I would kind of encourage. Going back to kind of the stress area, try and relax yourself as much as possible. Again, if you're sat here psychologically waiting for this period to happen and you're stressing, then it's not going to come either. It's going to prolong the whole thing as well. So things that I encourage um, in the run up to any period anyway is magnesium bath. And if you've not got time to actually sit in a bath, I normally say to have um, three or four magnesium baths in the run up to any period. But I certainly don't have the time to do that or I get very bored laying in the bath crazy I know I do get very bored so what I will do is just um, have a bowl of water and put my feet into magnesium salts and that at least is going to help to relax you and you're going to get the magnesium absorbed into the body again I talk a lot about meditation this can be really great if you're in a psychological place where you're stressed out about this period not coming do a lot of uh, meditation there's also meditations that you can do to help bring on periods I've done this before when I've been having a, a time where I'm not um, having a period for any kind of reason, I'll do meditation around it. I'll do some yoga around it. And generally, I don't know if it's psychological again, because somebody's telling me that, you know, and con um, getting into my brain that it's going to come, then it generally does. So try these little techniques that do really help. And another thing that has been, and again, listen back to my podcast last month um, with Chris Madden about the um, reflexology reflexology has helped me massively in every kind of area of my life it's um it's helped regulate periods it's helped digestive system it's helped sleep so a lot of the things we talk about um holistic health and holistic um, therapies can really help with um with a lot of things so i think that um kind of sums up really i've kind of covered what to do if your period's not coming 
and how to kind of deal with that psychologically. So I hope the lady listening and I hope that you take away from it what, what you needed to hear from that. So the final question for today's episode is, um, again, from another client of mine. She asked, if you're taking contraception, which stops your cycle, do you still need to modify your exercise during the month? Yes, you do. But you will modify it in a different way, just like I've just spoken about the um, taking a average of your three months with regards to, um, you know, um, finding where your cycles are. As a woman, a bleed generally will give us an indication of where we're at in, in that cycle. When we are um, taking away that bleed through contraception, through anything, even like when we've been through menopause, there are still things we can look at to find out where we are in the cycle. And it's a case-by-case scenario. You know, are you still having mood swings at a certain time of the month? That can be an indication that your period should be due. Are you bloating? Again, we try, um, especially when you work with me, we try and get bloating to an actual minimum by having an anti-inflammatory diet. But sometimes the time of the month, you will start to bloat a little bit. And that can be an indication. Fluid retention can be an indication. Low energy can be an indication. And I don't know a lot about this, but there's a lot of women and there's a lot more experts out there that can tell you a little bit more about this than I can. But some women follow moon cycles and find that they are, when they don't have a bleed, they're in tune with the moon. Again, I don't know a lot about it. I just know that when um, when there's a full moon, I start feeling like my energy starts to go a little bit weird, that I start to get a little bit more angry. Um, I think I might be turning into a werewolf, you know, but um, it does affect my um, energy, and definitely there is something in it. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, that's something you can look into. But generally, what I would look into is mood, bloating and energy. Those three indications can be where um, you look at as to where you maybe are in that cycle. And then once you find that, again, take a pattern over three months and you'll start to pinpoint areas where, you know, there might be times. Yes, it's this week here, definitely this week here. And you can then start to use that exercise like I teach you to slow down a little bit, use more exercises that are more gentle in that what would have been the run-up to your period, even though you're not having the bleed. I hope that makes sense. So you're looking out for indications of bloating, energy, mood, and then taking an average over three months and then adding in the exercise at that crucial point. And then outside of that time, you can go back to your regular exercise. And that should help, again, with this whole synergy of working with the cycle, even though the bleed's not there. It is definitely a lot more difficult to work with, I will admit. But Again, by listening to the body and really looking and pinpointing those those areas, then you know you you should be able to to work alongside it. But definitely do work alongside it. Is so the answer to the question is yes. You still do need to work around the cycle, even though you're not having a bleed. Short answer. <laughs> um, last thing that I really want to touch on is I'm going to add into the show notes this month. Um, with us coming out of the global pandemic here in the UK. There's been a lot of articles written about women and the cycle, about how it has been disrupted. So again, you know, going back to a couple of the subjects that we touched on today, um, the the cycle can come really disrupted when we have any kind of global change as well. So women are very sensitive to kind of these issues. And I think like we've been through so much this past year. So it's no wonder that our cycles are all over the place. There's so many women that have like come forward to me and said, oh yeah, my cycle's all out. They're either 
bleeding nonstop. They're not having a period for two or three months. There's just a lot going on with the body at the moment. I just want you to know that it's not something to worry about. It will regulate again. But because of globally what's happened, the body's taken a lot of stress that we've like not dealt with before. You know, what we've been through, all of us, has been like something like really extraordinary. And it's no wonder that the body's taken the impact from that. So I'm going to attach this article because um, I think it's really interesting for women to read about it. And as I said, there's been a lot of talk in the media about it. So I just wanted to raise that while I had the opportunity on this podcast because I think it really fits in with a lot of what we've talk, been talking about as well. So have a look at that and then, um, yeah, just be reassured that it is kind of normal at the moment. And things will regulate as we get back to what we can consider a normal life for now. Thanks for listening to Endo Matters. I've been Michelle Brooks from Desired Physique. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, please drop me a message on Facebook or Instagram or email me at info at If you like what you've heard and have found the information useful, please subscribe to the podcast on the platform you are listening to. Also, if you have enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Endo Matters is recorded and produced by Strength in Media.